first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit MethodProducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Hi, this is Sammy Walker, and you're listening to Level Playing Field. everybody welcome back to another episode of level playing field podcast part of the outsports podcast network my name is randy boost and i am your host for this podcast each week i speak to an lgbtq athlete or sports personality this week i speak to trans athlete sammy walker from england we talk a lot in this hour episode some of the stuff is about self-harm so if that's something that might cause issues with you i recommend skipping past that part We also talk about um, something that a lot of people in the trans community have to deal with, and that is self-medication. Sometimes our medical systems in the U.S. and in in the U.K. maybe, or some other place, might not be moving at the speed you need it to go. So we talk about Sammy's experience, how she's dealt with with the transition, what she does to, to do it, and how she started It's not recommended for everybody. It's something that she felt she had to do, though, to be honest with you, to save her own life. Just something to keep an eye out. She also makes the same comment. Anyways, I don't want to keep talking. Let's go ahead and start this episode. Without further ado, here is Sammy Walker. Welcome, Sammy, to my podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You reached out to me this past week, and I was excited to tell your story. Let's begin at the beginning. How did you get involved in sports? Um, I've always been into sports. Uh, I've been playing football or soccer, as you guys have known as, um, since I was four years old. My parents, my family were all massive sports fans. And it was kind of bound to happen, really. So when I was four, I was playing for like an under eights side, which is like the youngest that you can play. So I was playing like four years up, like with kids double my age when I was really young. Oh, OK. What's your earliest earliest football memory you have? Um, I think probably the first football match I ever went to. Um, I think I was about four or five years old and I went to go and see West Ham United play um, against Man United. And I'd just never seen that many people in the same place before. And it just really captivated me. Um it was just amazing. The other crowd chanting and it just made me think, oh, I really want to do that. I really want to go and, and be on that pitch. What's your first uh, playing memory then? Uh, first playing memory, um, I remember being taken to uh, a team called Woburn Lions, um, which were a kids team in uh, sort of like the Buckinghamshire, Bedfordshire border in uh, about an hour north of London. And I was tiny, you know, I was only four, years, four or five years old and all the other kids were like eight or nine. Um, and it was really, really daunting. But I remember playing and then getting picked the next week to start the match. And it was like a real kind of, oh, I'm, I'm actually kind of, I can do this. You know, it was a real confidence booster for me. 
and yeah, like I say, between that and the, the first experience of watching live professional football, that was it for me. I've always, always been keen on it. And it's been a passion of mine ever since. So where did you grow up? Um, I moved around quite a lot, um, but I grew up uh, mainly about an hour north of central London, um, just outside the big M25 ring road that goes out. So it's kind of more country, kind of small town kind of thing. But then I moved to a place called Milton Keynes, which is quite like a, like a larger city. Um, and then I moved down to London as an adult. Oh, okay. So did you grow up near, I think I've been up there, by, up by Ellsbury. Is that close to where Ellsbury, you grew up? Yeah, yeah that, that, that is where I was born. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I've actually stayed in a travel lodge in Ellsbury. Not Very recommended, classy. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Never again. Yeah, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise it. I mean, it, it's nice for driving through. Ellsbury's really nice for driving through. It's quite nice to look at, but not nice to be in. No, um, not but at I still all. got I still got like a, a few supportive family members up there that I go and see occasionally. What was your childhood like? You mentioned moving around a lot. Yeah, um, I mean, my parents divorced when I was quite young. Uh, as a result, I was kind of split between two households. Then both my parents remarried, had kids, and um, I ended up when I was very young. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, um, and then we just moved to a house a lot. You know, I, I think I lived in like twenty one houses by the time I was eighteen. It's pretty oh, crazy. damn. That is crazy. Yeah. When did you start to notice things were different for you in regards to your gender? I guess young, really young. I was probably four or five years old. Probably when I started school, I think, was probably when I realized, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not like the other boys here. <laughs> you know, I, I was way more comfortable with the girls. Um, but I still had like some, I, I guess, classically masculine traits. I was really into sports. I, you know, I, I, and, and, and as a result of that, it caused a lot of confusion for me. But yeah, it wasn't until I was a lot older that I kind of even was aware that, I guess, that uh, who I was, really. Yeah, it's funny because if you grew up now, I think kids have a better sense of, you know, sports aren't for the boys. Sports can be totally. played by anybody. Totally. I mean, when I was going to school, it was, you know, it was the early mid-90s. And, you know, the girls played hopscotch and the boys played football that was that was still kind of the status quo back then and I guess I grew up in 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 kind of a changing world but back then it was still very much you know regimented into gender stereotypes I guess. Mm -hmm. What about football made you feel the most comfortable like what what did you like about football the most when playing? You know I think football's always been a bit of an escape for me when I'm playing I'm, I'm only thinking about the game and I think I used it as an escape a lot when I was growing up um, I was always playing football. Um, I'd go to school, lunchtime would come round, I'd be playing football. Finish school, I'd go to the park, I'd play football till it got dark. I'd go home, I'd play football in the hallway and break stuff, kicking the football around. And I guess it, it did become very much an escape. I had to concentrate in order to to, to do keepy ups, to have to to you know concentrate on my positioning on on you know where I had to be on the on the pitch, and it it became all encompassing for me. And it, like I say, it's it was very much uh, sort of an escape tactic for me. Um, and an effective one. So then the moment you step off the pitch, how do you yeah. feel? I mean, I mean, now I feel good. Back back but, then. But no, back when you then, step off the pitch. Yeah. I like mean, your, your match is done. Yeah. Yeah. But match is done. You get a little bit of a buzz after the match. But when you get home and you have your bath and you're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm back to where I was again, you know. Um, and so as a result, I was playing football five six times a week you know you talked about you know how you felt at four or five and how sports were confusing for you in an 
an era where sexuality became a thing. You obviously didn't feel right with your gender, but did did sexuality confuse the? Didn't, did it confuse you at all? On oh, totally. Who you were? So, so I recognized, you know, I say quite young that I was quite feminine, um, and that I I had to try to be a boy. You know, I had to really, really try to to try and display a lot of those kind of boy kind of thing. You know, traits. And I think that the only being gay was kind of a known thing. You know, um, it wasn't a, it wasn't an okay thing still back then. You know, kids got teased if you know being gay was you know oh you're gay or it's a slur. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think that I attributed a lot of who I was to you know oh, I was like oh maybe I'm maybe I'm gay, and I knew that even at that young age, even though I didn't really understand it, I knew that it was wrong, even though it isn't wrong. You know. And so I guess that kind of confused me a lot. And it, it wasn't until somebody that I knew, I, when we were probably 15, started dressing like a girl and uh, started to transition at, in their teenage years. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's it. And that was when it kind of first started sort of mulling over in my head that, oh, okay, maybe, maybe it's a me thing. Maybe it's not an outward thing. Maybe it's an internal thing. And was this someone from school or...? Uh, no, it was like a friend of a friend. Oh, okay. How, yeah, so that must have been mind-blowing that there was an option for you. Yeah, and I think it, because I, I never really felt gay. I think that was the, the reality of it is I didn't feel like a gay man at any point in my life. Um, I, I had experimented uh, in my teenage years, and, and it always felt as kind of off and weird as when I was with girls. So I never mm-hmm. really, it never really felt right. And I could say when I realized that you know, being transgender could be a th- it was a thing, and that you could transition, you could, you could be like who you felt like you should be. You know, that was really mind blowing for me. But growing up, you know, the, the people that I had that I knew that were born male that presented female were like, you know, drag queens on TV or like Eddie Izzard, and I was like, I'm, I'm not Eddie Izzard, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he does happen to like the best football team in the world. Which is that? Crystal Palace. Oh yeah, that's a shame. That's not right. <laughs> wow it's clearly got just, to be West Ham West Ham by no, I, oh jeez I don't think so who's sixth place right now in the, in the table that would be uh-huh. the Eagles uh, yeah okay we'll see, how, we'll see how far you fall oh stop getting back to the talk um, yeah and you know I tweeted out today that one of the, the things that you learn and it should be something that's second nature to you but Every trans person has, every person has their own ideas, their thoughts. The trans athlete debate conversation isn't one where everyone's the same. So some of the stuff that we say today might not match what you think or whatever for the people listening, but it's, um, it's just part of the discussion. What I want to ask you is the, having the T in LGBT be part of that acronym does that did that almost hurt you in a way? Did that cause more confusion? I don't think it caused more confusion. I think it causes more confusion for other people. I think you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual are all sexualities, and and being transgender isn't a sexuality. And I think it it causes a lot of confusion. It causes a lot of misappropriation um, and misunderstanding, especially amongst cis heteronormative people, because um, they see it as like a, a sexually motivated thing as a result. And I think that's. Uh, it can sometimes be a little bit damaging. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that. But equally, it's you know, it's a community that has welcomed me with open arms. And um, if it wasn't, you know, for a lot of my LGBT friends, that you know, I wouldn't have got through some of the really dark periods of my time. So, you know, it's not a, a wholly negative thing. I, you know, I really like to stress that point. It's not a negative thing at all, and it's 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 great to be part of something where it might who you are matters more than what you are. Yeah, and like you said, it's internally the group is great, but it's the people outside of the group that exactly. really cause the confusion. Yeah, correct. Going back to when you were fifteen and you had this, you know, friend of a friend start to transition themselves, and you had this awakening, like there was another option for you. Mentally, you had to be going through almost like a stress relief with that, I, or did yeah, that cause more problems? I mean, it was relieving to know that there was another option that made more sense to me. But at that time, I was always, you know, I was on the books playing football for a Premier League side. You know, I was touted to to play for, you know, to go professional. And it was, you know, for, for somebody who had, I mean, personally, I had really thrown myself into like, OK, well, I just have to try and be a guy because that's what I'm supposed to be, you know. And it was it was a long way to it was, even at that point. It was like, oh, Christ, I've got, this is a long way to fall, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't until later in life that I was like, okay, you know, I, that I had the courage you know, and the conviction to be able to go and say, this is who I am, you know, and to hell with what you think. Yeah. And it would be years before you actually start to transition, right? Yeah, I didn't start my transition until I was 26 and a half, pushing 27. Yeah. And so, so you're, how long did you play football? I mean, I've, I've played football 25 I mean, years now. I mean, yeah, I mean, on that level where you were progressing in the men's game and you had um, dreams and hopes of being probably up higher. until probably 17, 18 that I was playing at like the highest level that I could. And probably I, I think that I was a little bit of a late developer puberty wise. And I think that that had a real impact on me um, when my body oh, so. changing. I think seeing my body change and it going from being you know when we're young and we're kids you know kids just have kids bodies you know mm-hmm. um and I think once you hit puberty you start going oh Christ you know this isn't right this does this is horrible you know and I think dysphoria really started started to set in around 17 18 and I felt super uncomfortable in my body and I just I just went downhill really really quickly and my mental health as a result I struggled with for the next 10 years when you say dysphoria what do you mean I guess it's that kind of Feeling that you're not what you're supposed to be or worrying that you'll never be who you feel you should be or looking in the mirror and, and wanting to claw your face off, you know? I, yeah. I just I just hated it. I could see the way that testosterone was changing my bone structure, changing the way that I looked, changing the body hair, and it, it made me feel sick. And it, it, yeah, it really, really affected me. Mm-hmm. As, you know... As a a teen boy myself at one time, I think that, you know, when you are about to enter puberty, you, you're sort of envious of the other boys in the locker room who have already started. But I imagine for you, your de- delayed start of puberty, did that, did that help you? Did it make you feel better about yourself? Yeah, I, or I think so. I think I, I felt, I felt better that I... It almost was like proof that I wasn't like them, mm-hmm. I guess, a little bit in, in a weird way at the time. I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not doing what they're doing. So maybe there is something different with me. 
and obviously when it did start happening I was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah and I think I think it did have a it have a big effect and I think that being able to to still see an, a level of femininity in, in myself when I was in my younger teens made it a lot easier for me to to not hate what I look like um but that got progressively worse as I got older you know the brain is so powerful and I'm not even going to pre- pretend to understand you know what it does and what it can do but I almost wonder if your body was trying to tell you too with the the late start that you were right in your feelings and your thoughts you know I mean I don't know if there's any medical evidence to 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 back that up but it's a it's a thought (laughs) (laughs) um I mean it's a nice thought but I mean I, I guess looking back at it from now you know I I wish that I had had more exposure um, and knew that it was okay to to be different. Um, and I think you see a lot of this stuff, especially when you see like the uh, people teaching LGBT stuff to kids. Mm-hmm. And all, they're all up in arms. Because, and the reality is, is that people are up in arms because they don't want their kids to be gay or they don't want their kids to be trans. They want their kids to be normal. And it, it, it troubles me that there's there's the push for normality over happiness. But being when I was young, I think that I would have benefited from knowing that it was okay to be whoever I how I was. Yeah. I think for some parents too, it's the dream that they had for their child. Exactly. You know, the idealized it's image, their, isn't it? Yeah. It's the dream that they have that that's falling apart. That's not going the way they want. And that's where the, the confusion or the anger or the denial comes from. Yeah. I think you're right. What is, I can never understand what it, what it's like to be trans, what it's like to be trapped in a body. That's not who you are. Can you try to explain what that was for you as a, a teen, late in your teen years? Uh, I imagine the um, mental health issues must have been tremendous. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent my basically my entire adult life from 18 to, to when I sort of finally came out and transitioned that I, I spent that entire time medicated for anxiety, for depression. I, I was very, very angry at the world because... I didn't know who to blame for, for why I felt like this. And I think it's been weird because I think transition's almost been like a cure-all for me. And I've been able to realise that a lot of the things that I felt were normal, um, even though I didn't understand them at the time. When you would reach low points, because I'm sure, you know, you sort of have ups and downs with your moments. <laughs> when you reach your low moments in life, what, what would you do to try to turn that around? I mean, I mean, I had a a real issue with self harm throughout my teens and, and early twenties. I felt like I needed to be punished because I I was different and I was wrong and I I was made to feel that way. Um, there were certain members of my family that were very openly anti LGBT, and I I felt like who I was, you know, some sort of abomination. I felt like I needed to be punished, and and I think that I, you know I used physical pain to to manage that a lot of the time, you know, but it. it if anybody else is who's listening to this does that similarly like please like don't do that to yourself it's I totally get why you do it and I get what drives you to it but you know it's a it's a temporary solution to a permanent problem and a lot of the time just being honest to yourself is is what you need yeah I guess it would just be a relief for the moment and then quickly come back so yeah I think it's it's you're just replacing emotions rather than working through them you know if you had that to do over again what do you think would have been healthier i mean 
And I, I ask that just for the people that listening that might be having those issues, might be doing self-harm. I, I mean, honestly, I would rather have just been open and honest. I think it's very hard to um, accept who you are when you don't know who you are. Um, and but if, if, you know, if, if you're in that place where you don't know what else to do other than to cause yourself physical harm, then, you know, reach out to people, reach out to people that you trust, you know, reach out to your friends, you know, it's okay not to be okay. Um, there's, there's a big campaign in, uh, oh, my phone buzzing. Um, it's a big campaign in England at the moment called ask your mate twice. So don't just ask your friend how you are once, ask your friend. And, you know, because you say, oh, you know, oh, how are you? And you go, oh, I'm fine. Um, but, you know, they're probably not fine. You know, so ask them again, are you sure you haven't been yourself? And they go, oh, well, actually, and then there's the problem. You know, if you just ask them once, people are going to fob you off. Um, and, and there's a, a responsibility on both sides of that. So there's a responsibility for the person who's suffering to be open and trust people. And there's a responsibility on the people that are providing the support to, you know, provide a conceited effort. Because when you're going through a tough time, you know, sometimes you need a little push. Mm-hmm. How would soccer or football, would you play football all throughout your early 20s? Or is there a time where you stopped temporarily? Yeah, I, I, I stopped. So um, there were some life things that happened in my early 20s that really threw me off um, and threw me, I, I put it into the wilderness. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't play football again, other than the odd kick around with friends or guest playing for somebody if the, if the team was short. But I didn't actually sign on for a team for eight years. And it wasn't until I moved down to London, sort of a year into my transition, that I found inclusive football, um, which is anybody within LGBT can can play. It's mixed gender. It's it's arguably the most diverse form of sport that I've, I've ever played. And, and it was a real lifesaver. It gave me the ability to reclaim my mental health to to exercise to and to feel normal you know it's there's a lot to be said for just going to do normal stuff you know and be included as part of a team and and be accepted so you talk about that gap though what what was the point where you you actually made the decision to transition where you finally realized that this is what i need to do to get better to feel better to feel who you are Um, do you remember that moment yeah i mean i had had I had been, you know, I was self-employed. I had a reasonably successful business, and I, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I did my thing, and and everything that, you know, a, a guy could want, um, and I was still miserable. I was as miserable as I was when I was eighteen. Um, I was still depressed. I was still looking in the mirror and thinking, oh God, I can't. This isn't me. This isn't me. I'm not who. I'm not who I want. Who I should be. You know. And it just it was it, it was very very difficult, and I, it got to the point where I had a bit of a had a bit of a breakdown, and yeah, it was it was it was tough. But you know, ultimately, about three months after that all happened, I was like, "This is it. This is what I'm going to do." And I went for it, and I I've, I've never looked back. And it was honestly the best decision I I've, I've ever made. It was that you know being able to commit to being myself and and to have the courage to do it despite knowing that it was going to cause problems or you know I knew that it was the right thing for me and so who's the first person you tell that you're going to do this probably my friend McCall um she lives in in New York actually um we had become friends um by Instagram (laughs) (laughs) and 
yeah I told her and she was super supportive um and she even flew me out to the states so I could have a chance to be myself away from the life I had and that was a real turning point for me and, and I'll be forever grateful to her for that do you think it was easier to tell someone like that instead of yeah I guess I was sort of closer. testing the waters a little bit and then I when I came back from the states I I told a few of my friends um and I got sort of a mixed response but I think it was it would think it's very difficult for people when you know if you've known someone for 20 years and then suddenly they say oh by the way I'm not that person you know I think sometimes it could be hard for you know somebody who comes out as friends to sort of accept that that's who they are because they've they or they that if they accept that's who they are then they also accept that you've been lying to them for x amount of years and that makes it yeah. I think there's a bit of an incongruence in that you know and I think that makes it quite difficult yeah I could see that I guess it's just hard though because it is something that you had to deal with for so long that once you're able to finally reveal who you are there as a friend you'd hope that there would be an acceptance yeah totally and you know I've I've had you know 10 15 people that have have really championed me and really supported me um and and without them I couldn't have, have done all this um but yeah I think that it was very difficult for the majority of people that I knew that had an image that of, of me that in their heads that was shattered. So how does the transition process start for you? Did you do, are you doing private or NHS? Um, so the, obviously in uh, the UK, we have the, the, uh, the national health system, which, you know, as, as a principle, is a fantastic idea, but in practice doesn't really provide adequate care for anybody in any circumstance so for me I went to my my general practitioner my local doctor and said you know this is what I want to do and he he sort of just looked at me and went no <laughs> you know <laughs> wouldn't refer me um so I called back again and, and I asked to speak to a female doctor and the lady I spoke to was a lot more sympathetic and she referred me to um the clinic this was about six months after I came out so that was, I mean, this is, we're talking quite recently, you know, this is within the last two years, 18 months. And I, I, I'm still yet to have my first appointment with the Gender Identity Clinic. Oh, and this is so in London, I, right? And this is in London, yeah. So there's, there's like one or two clinics that serve the whole of the UK. And they're just, they're so underfunded, they're understaffed, they're, there's not enough of the people that know what they're talking about or, or experts in it. And so it can actually be really, really difficult. To, to transition in the UK so I, but honestly I think if I if I'd relied solely on the healthcare provision that was provided by the state I I, I don't think I'd be here today oh wow so I didn't know that I mean because we've been talking this past week via Twitter so you when you start to transition you actually started so yeah I, I took I, I did a lot of research I spoke to a lot of girls that I knew that had transitioned and had done so successfully and you know, and I've 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 been responsible with it. I've made sure I've had my blood tests done. I've you know I've I've taken care of myself, and arguably I've I think I've given myself a better care and a better transition than I would have had if I'd relied on what was provided. How do you do this on your own? I mean, I don't want specifics about you know where you get the stuff from and and all that stuff, but I'm just saying, how do you research and how do you know <laughs> what to do? Um, I research stuff. I'd, I'd looked into normal ranges of, of testosterone in, in female in females in, in 
XY females as well as XX females. I do comparisons. If I didn't understand something, I Googled that. Um, Google's been my best friend in this transition. You know, okay, there's a lot of resources and a lot of information online. And if you're willing to put the time in and, and read scientific papers, and, and if you don't understand stuff, read other stuff so that you understand that stuff, you know, you, you can do it. But like I said, I've had a, a lot of people around me that are way further into their transition, that have finished their transition. And my flatmate at the moment is is a little bit older than me, but is has completed their transition, had all of her surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. So I've had a lot of people guiding me. It hasn't totally been a, a solo effort, so to speak. My transition is going really well. I am healthy. I'm doing well. So, I, And I think another really key thing to point out is that um, for so many trans people, what you look like affects the way people perceive you. And, you know, your, your doctor doesn't really care what you end up looking like. They care about treating a condition. And it's not that it's what you look like matters, you know, it shouldn't matter, but it does affect how people perceive you and how people treat you. And I think for a lot of trans people, that reliance on somebody else can come, sometimes be a bit of a detriment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't encourage it as, a, as a, an option, you know, I, I, this isn't safe to, to do it without medical attention. It's, it's not safe, but it's, it's necessary for me. Because I can't, you know, 18 months ago, when I first went to my doctors, if I hadn't have taken responsibility for my own care, then nobody else was. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine what you've been through, what you've had to, to deal with the last, you know, 27 or so years before you start transition. You go to the doctor to finally get this taken care of and, and start the transition process. And then they just go, whoa, now let's let's stop here and yeah it was very it was very much a kind of are you sure you know like like anybody takes this decision lightly you know and then for you have to deal with this with the doctor who like i said before i can't imagine what it was like to grow up trans to be in a body that didn't match who you were and then to have people on the internet or more importantly your doctors just go, you know what, you need to slow down. You don't really know what you're talking about. So we're going to make this process yeah. go from, you know, months to years because that's just what it should be. Totally, totally. And I think there, there needs to be some responsibility on the doctor's, on the doctor's side because so the, my flatmate, for example, um, she transitioned way before, you know, she's a bit older than me. She, she transitioned way before me. When she first went to the gender identity clinic, they were saying to her, you know, they gave her a chance to sit down and speak through everything. And she had four or five appointments before anything really got moving. And it was it was a matter of weeks between those appointments. Whereas now it's a matter of 18 months, two years between appointments. And as a result, they're so overwhelmed that the, the in practice, it, the, the, the responsibility isn't being, isn't falling at anybody's feet. It's just a kind of you know, chuck everyone on hormones and, and see what happens. And Let's talk about, so since you started transitioning, you obviously feel, you st- there's a point where you just feel, is there a point where you feel complete, where you feel you completely? Um, um, or have- I mean, I'm not there yet <laughs> by any means. You know, I'm, I'm still not 100% happy with the body that I'm in, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. And I think that's a, there's a lot to be said for having hope you know you know I feel like there is an option for me to be who be myself 
you know, be mm-hmm. who I thought I should always be. Um, and there is hope with me getting there at some stage. Um, but ultimately, it's I'm able to exist now without feeling that I'm faking who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big deal. Yeah, because you are Sammy and you are a football player. Yeah. What was it like finding the, was it Soho FC you played for first? Um, well, originally when I first transitioned, I went and played for a ladies team. Um, oh, did Aylesbury, you? Funnily enough, yes. Um, I spent three months living in Aylesbury at my aunt's house when I first transitioned. And I think a bit longer than three months, actually. Anyway, I spent time in Aylesbury. Um and I played for a ladies team uh, near there, and I felt I it was it was fine at first. Um, everyone was kind of a little bit weirded out. I think <laughs> I was still very early in my transition and didn't look like I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of the people there didn't necessarily agree that I should be there. Um, and it. <laughs> After I, I think I was probably playing them with them for, I don't know, a month and a half, two months of training. And one night the coach came up to me and was like, look, can you just like, you know, dial it back a bit? <laughs> mm. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of too good to, you know, can you, everyone else feels it's kind of feeling like you're not, you know, you're, you're not you're making everyone else feel like they can't play football and I was like I don't understand what you mean I'm just I'm playing football the way I always play football and I never went back after that because I felt like I was like oh okay well it's not the place for me then because I think they'd had people other other people going oh you know why is he here you know so you think it was more about gender than talent oh 100 percent 100 percent 100 percent it was because it was who I was Mm. um under the and it, you know and it, it was it, the reality is is that I played football at quite a high level I've always been quite you know one of the better players on any team that I've played on and I think that it's been any even now that I play in a team predominantly I, I mean I'm the only girl on that plays for Bristol Panthers which is the team that I play for now um and at training the other day I was the, I was the only female there and I still hold my own Mm-hmm. You know? and for me I, I prefer the challenge of playing against guys I think that any any girl that grew up playing football dreamed of play you know until the women's football became a thing they dreamed of playing in the Premier League and they couldn't because they were girls and so I feel quite actually quite lucky that I'm able to play with the guys and hold my and hold my own and 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 you know be able to play at a level that I feel is you know, faster paced and, 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 and challenges me more. It's actually an interesting thing to think about because, you know, you talk about boys dream of being in the Premier League, girls dream about the Premier League too, um, but they didn't have an option. But then you always knew you were a girl, but you still have those dreams that the boys had of, of playing the best, playing the boys. Totally, 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 totally. And I think that, that I did have a, because when I was, you know, like I say in my, sort of mid-teens, late-teens, when I was playing at the highest level that I could possibly play at. Um, you know, I, I thought you know, maybe it was sort of a, a stuck between which one do you do? Because one of one I knew, 
you know, one option of, of being myself and being true to myself would offer me happiness. And the other one would offer me a really, really privileged life. You know, and that's a really difficult decision to make when you're, you know, a teenager because you don't really understand life, you know. Oh, yeah. And and typically I went with the one that most teenagers, I think, would make at that decision at that time, which is I want a nice life. I want a nicer life because at least because if I have a nicer life, I can choose to transition later on. Um, and it ultimately was the wrong decision. I should have been honest and true to myself and, and transition when I was younger. But, you know, honestly, I don't think I had the mental fortitude at that time to be able to do it. Yeah, I wonder if. Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing that, especially with the health system the way it was for you, if it would have been any better back then. I mean, arguably, even though... it, probably, it probably would have been. It probably would have been. Really? I think, that, yeah, because I think that the, the usage of, of transgender services and the, and the gender clinics in the UK has shot up massively. And, and like I said, this is, I think this is largely because of, there's a, there's a multitude of factors, but I think it's largely because it's more accepted and it's more known. You know, it's no different to, you know, more people feel comfortable coming out, for example, as, as, as gay or lesbian, since it's become more socially acceptable. Um, and I think that's really the crux of the matter for a lot of these issues is, is social acceptability. Had I known that I could have, you know, that it was a, a genuine possibility when I was 12 or 13, I think I probably would have liked to avoid going through a, a male puberty entirely. Let me ask you a political question. Um, I know right now the Tories have the the majority. Well, they don't have the majority, but they have control of the uh, government. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. If Labour or the Lib Dem, if they got together and did something, do you think NHS overall would improve? And do you think it would help for the trans community? Yeah, I think so. I do. I do think so. Um but I mean, as general rule, I'm pretty apolitical. You know, I, I try not to get involved in the politics of stuff because I think politics is a good way to waste a lot of time over a subject that doesn't take that long to sort out. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that there's a lot of self self serving people within within politics, just in general. You know, I think it's a very self serving um, career choice for for certain people especially those that have business interests before they go into politics. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm sure that... <laughs> um, I could think of one person in particular yeah, right yeah, now. I can that, fully uh... appreciate that, right? Um, but, you know, it's no different to, to over here. You know, we've, we've had... We've had we, we, you know, there's, there's always stories in the news in the UK of, of, of politicians that, you know, have tried to abolish stamp duty, which is like a tax you pay on the selling of houses or the buying of houses. Oh, yeah. um, but but they've got a you know they've got a side business where they buy and sell houses. You know, or, <laughs> well, that's convenient. You know, do you know what I mean? You know, and, it, and it's it's so obvious. But the reality is, is that you know most people are most people's lives are too difficult for them to worry about that kind of stuff because they you know the world's kind of messed up. Let's leave the um, world of politics and go back to football. Um, yeah. So you end up playing with the the ladies team for a while. They say you know. You're basically not welcome. But how yeah, long I until mean, you play again? A year. Really? A year. Yeah, and that was when I went down to went down to London. Um, I had a, a partner that I'd moved in with, and she had encouraged me to 
know, and, and, and try and do it because I'd been talking about missing football and um, I think really she again she 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 like my parents before her had got pe- pissed off with me doing keepy ups in the in the kitchen um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was like just get out of the fucking house you know um, so yeah so I went onto Facebook and I did a search for trans football you know or, or and I, I found a, an LGBT team called um, Soho FC and yeah I've I've played ever since is there a moment when you enter the pitch where you go yeah this is where I, I need to be yeah I think the the so the first I remember the first session I went so I hadn't obviously hadn't played football in in a year um I hadn't exercised really for a year and I went and I tried to play football the way I'd always played football and I was throwing up on the side of the pitch I, <laughs> I couldn't breathe um and it wasn't my best performance I'll be honest um but the next time that I went I kind of dialed it back a bit and just tried to enjoy playing and I went for a drink with the team afterwards and um funny enough I, there were a few players there that were that have said you know all right I didn't even realize you were trans I just thought you were a lesbian playing with us <laughs> um, which was nice you know that was kind of really validated for me I was kind of like oh okay like I'm maybe I because you know, I, I, I'm very self-conscious about how I look um and I think all trans all trans people are you know that kind of gave me a lot of confidence to be like oh okay you know, you're just judging me based on my football not the, the, what I look like hadn't even occurred to them you know they were just they were all talking about you know you're, you're really good for a girl <laughs> <You know? laughs> did you ever I mean do you tell them or do you're just like oh cool I mean yeah there's, there's you know I'm pretty open with who I am because I, I I'm a firm believer that although I don't necessarily want to have to tell people um about my past I, I think that you do run the risk of going back into just a, like a weird like stealth closet you know you can go sort of like as a term you know you, you're a stealth trans woman that no, nobody else knows that you're trans you just live as a woman and that's wonderful I'd love that but I think for me I, I think I, I would feel that I'm not being true to myself um because I, I there are realities that I I wasn't born female and I don't want to have to constantly worry about people finding out that I wasn't born female and so I'm quite openly trans why do you think they need to know well I don't tell you it's not something I necessarily advertise um to people if I meet them in the street you know well yeah it's not like you have a car that says I'm trans no no exactly it's not it's not something I I don't have a badge for instance um but why why do you think it's important to tell people in certain relationships or I think uh, it's just it's um I, again, I, I learned from my coming out experience that, you know, people, you, you, the last thing I want to do is, is dupe people. You know, the last, the last thing I want is for people to feel like they've been duped or for them to have a negative opinion of who I am because of who I am. And, you know, if somebody doesn't like me because I'm trans, then that's on them. That's not on me. And I, I'm OK with that. Yeah, uh, the burden of the burden of hiding who I am because I, I because I fear people finding out that I'm trans. You know, I'm not willing to shoulder that burden. Was it Soho or was it Bristol where you walked in Pride for the first time? It was at Soho. It was at Soho. 
what was that moment like for you? How did the build up for it go? Like, how did you decide you wanted to do it? It was just something, I think it's something the team do every year. Um, there was a lot of talk of the day and we had just, uh, the team had won the, the London Unity League for the first time. Um, I, I'd come on and scored in the cup final um, that we became runners up in uh, like a week or two beforehand. And it was the first time that I had felt part of a team as myself. And I guess I was just riding, I was really riding a, a wave, you know, and I, it was, it was the best, one of the best days of my life, you know, be, being surrounded by friendly people, by people, you know, who I considered friends and um, being surrounded by, you know, uh, uh, the streets lined 10 deep cheering us on as we just, as we, as we walked past and it was, it was a really, really good experience and, and one that really, really contributed positively towards my self-confidence moving forward in my transition. Oh, really? Definitely, definitely. I think it was the first time that I'd ever witnessed like real mass, mass acceptance in the streets for, for who I was. Do you think that is one of your, your highest football moments then, the playing with that club? Yeah, I, w- I would say that um, it was the first time that I felt like I had found my place within a football side and that um that I was able to play without any other worries and then so when you leave Soho is that a tough decision for you uh well I got injured um playing in a tournament in the summer and more recently um obviously I've moved down to Bristol which is like the other side of the UK but you know I, I found acceptance with Bristol Panthers you know I've been in training with them a few times I'm still injured I'm still out injured I probably will be until after Christmas unfortunately but I'm what injury in, like, do you training. have I, I ruptured my cruciate ligament which is really oh, bad geez. in my left knee so it's a real serious one um so I've got to I mean I'm up and I'm walking I haven't got pain in it or anything like that um I'm able to run not it's the changing direction that I struggle with right yeah any knee uh, injury is going to be hard to come back from yeah and this isn't the first time I've had a knee injury on in this particular knee. I, I've I've ruptured my collateral ligament in the same knee. Um, when I was that was the the injury that saw me sort of let go and from um the Premier League side that I was at. Um, and I I've torn another I've torn my cartilage in the same knee as well. So my my knee inside my left knee is basically just cabbage at this stage. So do you plan on getting surgery for it then, or? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm waiting for surgery. But again, you know, I, I injured my knee in August and I still haven't got a surgery date from the NHS. Really? really, really. One thing about one thing I noted, I've heard about the NHS is it really depends on where you are in the country and how the service 100%, 100%. is. 100%. Because what, what is that? It's like divided into NHS trusts. Um, mm-hmm. So... It's it, it, the way best way I can describe it is like if America had it, it'd be like a, an America wide service. But the service you receive in, I don't know, Ohio would be better than the service you receive in New York because of the less do- population density. Right. And then specialties and all that stuff, too, depending exactly on where you're that, at. Yeah. So you obviously, like I said, you uh, reached out to me and I know that I helped you get in touch with without sports with Don. Um, and then you're you obviously already working with with some people in England what made you decide to tell your story I I felt like it was the right time for me um I I you know I I 
and was struggling a little bit with this injury um, and not playing and not being able to to sort of compete and and, and play matches. I just, I, you know, I, I felt like it was the right time for me to kind of share this and to sh- and to to show people that there there is always a place where you can play spot. There is always a place, um, and it, you know, because and it might not be the place where you necessarily think you can. You know, I never thought that I'd be playing on a predominantly gay men's side in in London. I did, and I found acceptance, and I, I loved every minute of it. And I didn't feel invalidated as a result as a woman. If mm-hmm. anything, I felt more validated as a woman because I was the only one pl- there playing. Who, you know, and I, I was able to hold my own and and was accepted. You know, even by the opposition that I played against at the tournaments that I've played in. I've I've never once been misgendered. I've ne- you know even though everybody knows that I'm I'm obviously there because I'm LGBT. You know mm-hmm. I've never had any anything directed at me for being a girl or it's it's great. You know and it's it's a really really positive thing to be part of here in England. And I guess it's something that is relatively new. You know there's only probably thirty teams in the whole of the UK. Um that are like freestanding teams there's a lot of like lgbt teams that are like a supporters clubs from from professional sides mm-hmm. and that's what bristol panthers are affiliated with bristol city um soho is a standalone side they're not affiliated with any other club how did you get involved in rainbow rovers um i i was asked via, via through soho um so i think soho were asked to provide some players uh to go down that um have a, a bit of a following um, I've got a bit of a following in social media and stuff like that. Um, so I was picked and I think I ticked a lot of diversity. I think as, as often is the case, I ticked quite a few diversity boxes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I was asked to go down. I say, unfortunately, I got injured. I wasn't able to play. Um, but there were there were a couple of other trans women that were picked on the side. Um, people like Natalie Washington, I think, was picked. Um, who, who I've, I've spoken to a few times seems very very lovely they played a team of ex Premier League players well actually okay cool I didn't know you played in that let's uh, no well, this is the thing I, I was picked for it and then I had my knee injury at that tournament the week beforehand <laughs> and then I, I, I was never able to play um, but it is something that I'm trying to get more involved in and um, we're trying to take Rainbow Rovers as a side as a touring side we're trying to take that to these the, the supporters clubs that I mentioned mm-hmm. um and we, we've got some plans for some really really cool fixtures that we're going to set up um where we're going to try and get an ex-pro from each of the clubs so we have an ex-pro from Liverpool an ex-pro from Newcastle blah blah, blah and they will captain a side of supporters that hopefully if all goes to plan um we'll be able to uh, bid in an auction for positions on that side um so it wouldn't matter, matter what the supporters look like what they what they dress like what their gender identity is you know the ages whatever you can you can bid to play a match in your team's jersey and and do that thing um it's all very grassroots at the moment we haven't talked it through it's just an idea but it's something that we, we'd love to do um and try and raise some money for uh, for charities for lgbt charities um especially ones uh closer to my heart like suicide prevention um and and self-harm charities so yeah there's obviously that stuff with rainbow rose that we're looking to do and um i'm really keen to get a 
uh, a kit, so a Rainbow Rovers kit um, that we can then sell and, and help donate some money to charity as well. So it will be a kit that is predominantly the um, gay, lesbian, um, LGBT, uh, bisexual trans flags um, incorporated into the designs all over it. Um, and, and really push that kind of inclusive sport message. So they're all dreams that, and, and aspirations that I have um, that, you know, hopefully will come to fruition uh, in 2020. So stay tuned. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and you could use your PR background to, to help get the word out. That's the plan. That's the plan. But yeah, you know, I think it's, it's really important to, to, to sort of spread that, that it's, it's possible to just go and play football or go and do a sport and enjoy the sport for what the sport is um, and, and not have to really worry about who you are, how you identify, what your sexuality is, because everybody there is is diverse and everybody there is, you know, is there for the same reasons. And that's just to enjoy the game. You know, I, I can't imagine what you're doing for this generation of kids who might be struggling with the same thing. This generation is already the most accepting ever, obviously. I mean, they've, they're going through the most. They have the most freedom for in- information, at least yeah. in most of our countries. I can't imagine what you're doing for kids who will hear this story, you know, with this podcast or with other outlets that you're going to end each episode of my podcast with this question. My question is this. If you could tell your 12 or 13-year-old self who already knows that you're outside appearance doesn't match your inside what's that one thing that you would you would tell yourself it's okay very simply it's okay it's okay to be you and you don't have to be scared that of the of any repercussions because the reality is that the repercussions of not being yourself and not loving yourself are way way worse so be brave be courageous and be yourself cool Sammy, thank you so much for for coming on this and talking. I've had a lot of fun. No worries. It's been a it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you everybody for listening to my episode with Sammy Walker. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Um, if you like it, uh, share it and spread the word. If you like this podcast, follow us at Apple Podcasts under Outsports where you will get my podcast and a few others. If you want to reach out to me, you can reach me at LPFpod on Twitter and Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. If you have any questions, you can email me at levelplainfieldpod at gmail.com. Next week, I'll have an all-new guest talking about an all-new subject in sport. Until then, take care and see you next time.